You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. Tonight's reading is from Proverbs 7. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man, lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with the bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows, so now I have come to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, He does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we are thankful that your word is so alive and active, it's living and breathing, and yet we know, Lord, that there are hard things in your word, and Lord, these are hard sayings that you have for us tonight. So God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom, the insight, the strength, the perseverance to take these truths not only to heart, but mind and soul and body, and that you, Holy Spirit, would come and bring peace and bring life to what is dead and what is dark. God, we do pray that we would be prepared to be humbled by your word, that you, Holy Spirit, would convict us of sin and yet bring us sweetly, not to worldly sorrow, but godly sorrow that brings life, repentance, and faith in Christ. Lord, we are thankful that you are here with us by Christ's blood and sacrifice. And may we live in response to that as we worship you through the preaching of your word. In your son's name that we pray, amen. You may be seated. 
Uh, hello and welcome to Christ Church. Uh, if you're new around here and I haven't met you, we're so glad that you're here. My name is Aaron Bickett and I'm one of two ministry residents here at Christ Church. And the elders and I would really love to get to know you. So if we don't know you, if you're new here, just come on up after the end of the service and I or, or Clint or Kyle or the other elders here would love to chat with you um, and get to know you and maybe even take you for coffee sometime. If you're a member, or I have met you though, thanks again for being here. It's so glad to be together again as we worship Jesus in spirit and in truth by his word. Now, this evening, we're going to have a torch night, actually. We missed last week because it was more fitting to have it this week. And so if you are a fourth through sixth grader, you can meet with Cedric, Jordan, and Debbie right here in the front, and they will take you out to have some really cool, fun game and conversation um, that's more your age friendly and over the last few weeks. So we'll let you guys shuffle on through out of here as they take you, but we'll continue. Now, as Kyle last week did so well to navigate a chapter and a half of Scripture, I have to say I feel a bit intimidated because the elders asked the rookie here to preach on two and a half chapters this Sunday, all of which on the lovely Sunday afternoon topic of adultery. Nothing like a little bit of donuts and a sermon on infidelity to end your week, right? But we will persevere because at times, though it seems that it only leads to death, God's word brings life, hope, and joy. So if you've missed or you're new around here, we as a church have been going through the Proverbs, and as we've said before, the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs really is kind of an index for the rest of the book. We've heard the whispers and the shouts of both Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom, and we will continue to hear their calls towards one or the other in our evening's text. You'll see in chapters five, the second half of chapter six, and seven, a theme of physical warnings, specifically sexual in nature, which then apply to spiritual truths that lead us to gospel promise. As Ray Orland says in his preaching commentary on Proverbs, he says, Proverbs is a gospel book because it's in the Bible. Because like any passage in scripture that we study, we must not stop until we see Jesus face to face. And it really is my hope and my prayer that we do that tonight. Last week, Kyle did a great job at showing us what this wise father and grandfather are pointing us to for life and godliness, namely getting wisdom and the sanctifying life-giving dues of God's word. All of this, of course, being born out of the rest and finished done work of Christ. But if Kyle's preaching, however, on Proverbs 4 was a wise do kind of sermon, then this sermon is going to be a grave do not. So we dive into Proverbs 5 through 7. Now, we'll have a bit of lengthy slides ahead of us, but unfortunately we have to, when we preach three chapters at a time, there's a bit of flyover that we have to do in order to get you back to work by Monday. So bear with me, hopefully this will all make sense. Uh, this kind of preaching and teaching is more thematic in nature. However, we will ultimately arrive expositionally to the author's intended meaning all the same. We will divide these texts into three points broken down by one, the folly of adultery, two, the wisdom of fidelity, and then three, our adultery for Christ's fidelity. Within the first two points, we will unpack them from both the horizontal level as well as the vertical level, one at a time. Each of these themes are shot throughout all three passages, and I think as we really work through these Proverbs thematically, we will start to see distinct characteristics of each and how they make sense as a whole. 
We can think of the horizontal and vertical like streams. One stream will be the earthly, physical, and horizontal understanding of the text, and the other will be the theological, spiritual, and vertical understanding of these truths, with both interweaving and coinciding with one another, but each with their own unique aspects. The term covenant now, though, is from the Latin convenire. And I bring this up because these two streams are not only found throughout all of Proverbs in the Bible, but are also born out of the problem with adultery. Because from the Bible's definition, there are actually two kinds of adultery, because the term is linked with covenantal language. Now covenant, the definition of it, presupposes two or more parties who come together to make a contract, agreeing on promises, stipulations, privileges, and responsibilities. It, it really basically defines the relationship. For instance, one such covenant that we're all familiar with is the marriage covenant. Vows of promise, faithfulness, rings, and a lifetime of commitment are just some of the agreements in the covenant. There's even the license or contract that legally binds the marriage. But when the Bible also says that there's covenants, it's really meaning what it says because the whole story of the Bible is actually all about God making covenants with his people. So when the Bible uses the words like unfaithfulness to a covenant with God, we can use the word adultery because this, as we will see, is how God ultimately uses it. So to begin, our first point is the folly of adultery in the horizontal sense with a father speaking to a son. Now the main character being portrayed here in these passages, horizontally speaking, is the voice of a father telling his son and sons to flee the real temptation of a real adulteress from very real consequences and instead to choose practical wisdom and the real blessing of marital fidelity. Proverbs 5.1 reads, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding. 5.7 says, O sons, listen to me, do not depart from the words of my mouth. 6.20 reads, keep your father's commandments, bind them on your heart always. The father here is sharing both warnings and wisdom right out of the gate. In effect, he's saying, listen to me. Keep what I'm saying in your mind at all times. What I'm about to share with you is vitally important. But if this is an earthly father speaking, then I think this should give us some time to pause and reflect for a moment. Because in our earthly relationships with our own earthly fathers, father figures, mothers, or even guardians, it takes great humility and trust and intentionality to submit to one another and, and really admit that we need wisdom. This is super difficult for us, let me tell you. Especially because if I counted, all earthly fathers and father figures have failed. And even miserably sometimes, right? Even more so, sometimes the wisdom gained and being given is from personal failed experience. Interestingly enough, if this is written from the lineage of David and Solomon, can you imagine listening to a talk on sexual fidelity from a family of adulterers and polygamists? But before we cast our stones, may I ask, how many times have we tried to share wisdom on a subject with a friend, a coworker, a relative, a child that we were once currently being unwise in? That we were currently being unfaithful in? God's wisdom applied horizontally from one human to another will always be imparted from ultimately unwise, sinful, and fallible people. Paul addresses this, even speaking about Christians in 1 Corinthians 1.27 by saying, God chose what is foolish in the world, namely us, to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world, also us, to shame the strong. This is good news though, however, 
Because in reality, all of us are unwise. And if we are willing to admit this, it frees us from the guilt of hypocrisy when sharing godly wisdom with others. This also calls us to humility with others, though, because we realize we too need godly wisdom for our own lives. All of us, myself included, need God's supernatural wisdom to bring light into what is dark in our lives, even on a subject like this. So the earthly father here has some wise words and he's giving them, but why? What for? Well, our next point here in the subcategory is temptation. He is speaking against temptation. Proverbs 5.3 reads, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as a wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. In 7, 18, 19, and 21, the adulteress says, Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not home. He has gone on a long journey. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. In the wisdom of the spirit given to the father, this father figure goes to great lengths to give graphic imagery and as enticing of language as possible to hit home the severity of what he's trying to communicate. And in essence, this is what he's saying. Truly and honestly, temptation is actually tempting. Amen? Temptation is actually tempting. Sin most often actually appears enticing to us desirable, pleasurable, favorable. And if we're honest, that's actually quite scandalous to admit, even inside of the church. We rarely like to admit it, but we as fallen creatures are actually tempted by some of the most atrocious, dark, and deadly sins in this world. We naturally, in and of ourselves, apart from Christ, love sin. We love pleasure. We desire to be desired. We long for what is forbidden. It is just simply a fact of our flesh. Even with Christ, we fight these evil inclinations that are left in us and daily battle the temptations like these in our text that are not uncommon to man. Sadly, not only is it hard when we admit sin, it is almost just as difficult to admit our own temptations towards sin. But oh, how the enemy loves to keep even these things hidden in the dark of secrecy and shame. And unfortunately, if left in the dark, things only lead to more darkness. And that darkness here in our text leads to the committing of actual horizontal adultery. We read in Proverbs 5.20, Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? 6.29 says, He who goes in to his neighbor's wife, none who touches her will go unpunished. So the father of Proverbs here is warning against the temptation to commit horizontal physical adultery. Seems pretty straightforward enough. Just don't sleep with someone who's not your spouse, and especially if they themselves are also married. But I think some New Testament context will reawaken the Father's words here for us, because under the New Covenant, most of us are familiar with Jesus' words in Matthew 5.28, where he says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery with her. So now, it is not only physical adultery we must be made aware of, but even mind and heart adultery that we need wisdom to flee from. Here Jesus raises the standard of adultery to match that which God deems as truly sinful. Now he is not softening full-blown adultery here, but instead is raising up in our minds the severity of internal heart-born sin and its damaging consequences. Jesus in essence is saying, just because your body did not do it does not mean that your heart is not guilty of the crime. Do we believe that, church? 
That's some really hard news. That means that a lot, there's a lot more guilty people here than the simple letter of the law allows. Are we okay to admit that? Also, though, if we invert Jesus' commands, we can see that if we desire to be the object of lust in our hearts at any capacity, we have sinned in our own right. Does that make sense? This too can be subtle, but if someone desires to be desired sinfully and acts upon it, they have done something evil in the sight of the Lord. Jesus in Matthew 18, 7 says, Woe to the world for the temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. But so we are clear here, and I'm going to need a little bit of a congregational participation. Please repeat these words after me, all right? One, two, three. Men and women are sinfully, or sinfully desire. Men and women sinfully desire. And men and women sinfully desire to be sinfully desired. Good. Does that make sense? Is that catching on here? Both directions lead to adultery. And both men and women can be guilty of these heart-born sins in the realm of horizontal sin. Do not be deceived by this. It is the intentions of the heart, not just the acts themselves, that God warns us of and that Christ even here speaks of. And that the Father here in Proverbs is giving us wisdom to escape. Unfortunately, however, all of us are guilty of these sins at some level. Jesus said, none are righteous, no, not one, through the Apostle Paul. And as most of us are aware of, the horizontal consequences of sin are catastrophic. And sadly, all of us have experienced the consequences of ours or others' sin, which leads us to the horizontal consequences. Because the folly and fallout of horizontal adultery is blanketly warned of here in these chapters. Proverbs 5, 8 through 14 read, Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. This text talks about indentured servitude, trying to pay back for your crime, so to speak. In today's day and age, this could look like child support, court orders, or garnished wages. Proverbs 5, 16 through 17 says, Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. This passage talking about streams is really children from the fountain of marriage, making reference to children out of wedlock, which in today's world looks like half-brothers and sisters, divided households, distanced or estranged parenting, custody battles, visitation blackmailing, and so many hard issues that we face. Proverbs 5.23 says, The man dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. This verse is more universal, and today it seems like the scourge of pornography in our culture most certainly leads men and women astray and away because of the great folly with using such materials. A lack of discipline precedes the downfall. It also says, led away, no longer indicating a blissful and willful path, but an ensnaring and enslaving one. Most all of us, if not directly, have experienced the consequences of horizontal adultery in the New Testament sense, in one way or another. Whether knowing someone, being sinned against ourselves, or having committed these sins against others, the cause and effects of adultery are felt with seemingly endless ripples throughout all of our lives, family structures, and society. And with it brings tidal waves of pain, broken relationships, and suffering. 
Often these things shake us to the core of our very security and identities, leaving family and children to pick up the pieces. This is hard stuff, friends. Many of us have suffered these sins or made others to suffer this sin, and yet the world at large seems to condone it all the more. But we can't stay here. Because as we are looking into the deeper thematic workings of this larger swath of Scripture, we begin to see that these passages are not merely single-dimensional, applying only to the specifically married or only to the realm of betrayal regarding physical intimacy. Instead, time and again, we see God's living and active Word paint beautiful and sorrowful landscapes of horizontal, earthly realities that point to even deeper, vertical, spiritual truths that apply universally to all of mankind and most specifically to his very own people. This includes the married, the single, the widowed, the faithful, the unfaithful, and the betrayed. Nathan used a really good quote um, that he let me use, which goes something like, singleness in creation, non-existent. Singleness in the Old Testament, uncommon and generally undesirable. Singleness in the New Testament, advantageous for kingdom ministry. Singleness in eternity, universal. So if we look only skin deep at these texts here, with all good and true and wise words, we will ultimately only receive more law and only for a select demographic. This, however, misses the entire redeeming work that God has to say and everyone he desires to speak to, as we will see. This all then brings us to the vertical aspect of adultery. So then vertically, under the folly of adultery, we hear not just the voice of a father, but the Father, and not just to a son, but us, his very children. Proverbs 6.23 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is a light, and the reproves of discipline are the way of life. 7.2 and 3 say, Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Like most everyone else who's preached so far has mentioned, this is Deuteronomy all over again, with very specific covenantal language being used that to the early Israelite hearer would hopefully cause attentiveness and should cause us to be alert as well. Because by connecting his wisdom to his law, God is showing us through the author that these real physical warnings and wisdom have real genuine spiritual meaning as well, even more so. So, If that's the case, what is God himself then saying as our heavenly father? Well, to start, that we should be warned against temptation once again. But from what? Just illicit sexual intimacy? Proverbs 7, 10, 11, 15 through 18 reads, And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay home. Now in the street, now in the market, now at every corner she lies in wait. She says, so now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I've spread my covering with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. It says that she is in the street, in the market, and everywhere in the corners she lies in wait. She is not just somewhere, but she's everywhere. That's weird. Who are we talking about here? Well, this loud and wayward woman, thematically speaking, is found throughout the Proverbs and Scripture known as the woman folly. She is the embodiment of the adulterous desires of mankind in everything but God himself, wooing the simple and preying on the naive. She whispers from Genesis to Revelation, seeking to devour all who go down her path. 
And not to spoil too much, but even in Proverbs 9.13, it says that the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. With the author very much intent here to convey this same larger theological theme throughout the book of Proverbs. And God is warning us here because every day she comes to meet us, even in our beds. First thing in the morning, she calls to us, tempting us towards control and safety, using the anxiety of the day to lure us in. She tells us how eagerly she has sought us, telling us that we deserve to be thought of well, but only after reminding us of all the things we should be insecure about, from Facebook friends, or the achievements of others, or dinner with folks and friends, or at church. She kisses us with advertisements of fame and fortune and retirement. She hides at the marketplace or on Amazon.com showing us all her fancy linens that we just have to have. She promises genuine physical satisfaction and pleasure, even using the word love, all the while sucking our souls dry through these empty sexualized media and pornography. And most of all, she is the blanket of the culture at large, trying to put us to sleep, to be carried downstream to spiritual death like everybody else. All prettied up in exactly the things we want most dearly. Fulfillment, money, sex, happiness, security, attention. Or really just to feel good, honestly. God is warning us of the temptation of this adulterous world that does not stay home, does not sleep, does not rest, because it is the air that we breathe and it longs to have its way with us. And when we give in, It is not always marital, horizontal adultery we fall into, but always a vertical, covenantal adultery. Proverbs 5, 21 through 22 say, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the court of his sin. 7, 13, and 14 read, She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. We know that all sin is seen before God. That should be obvious. He's God. But what those sins are to God is also vitally important for us to understand. The offer of sacrifice here in seven brings us into the vertical realm as this adulteress brings false worship into the mix of sinful physical lusts. This is just another instance of the author connecting both the physical and spiritual realities, in essence saying, when we give in to the lusts and the allures of the world, Whether sexually or otherwise, it is not simply a horizontal adultery we commit, but it is ultimately God who we are tempted away from and God who we ultimately wrong. The physical is always tied to the spiritual, not one without the other. Throughout the rest of Scripture, especially the Old Testament, adultery is a constant and visceral theme used by God to describe the sins of His people against Himself, especially the sin of idolatry. In Jeremiah 3.9, it says, Because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with wood and stone. God here is likening idol worship, wood and stone, to adulterous intimacy against himself. Ezekiel 16, uh, chapter 16, is replete with this language of idolatry as adultery, specifically verse 30 and 32, that summarize this well by saying, How sick is your heart, declares the Lord God, because you did all these things, the deeds of a brazen prostitute, building your vaulted chamber at the head of every street corner and making your lofty place in every square. Adulterous wife, 
who receives strangers instead of her husband. The pain, sorrow, and betrayal of horizontal adultery, the very breaking of the marriage covenant, though emotionally bone-crushing, is a mere shadow of the great betrayal we as sinners have caused by our own adultery against the loving and faithful God of the universe and his good covenant with us. This vertical theme of adultery in Proverbs, then, should be shocking to us, not only because it's true, but because we believe and experience this truth so little. Let me say that again. Because marital covenant adultery is so painful and destructive, it should make us tremble and weep at even the thought of divine covenantal adultery. But it usually doesn't. I mean... Honestly, when was the last time we committed an idolatrous sin and acted on a wicked desire and afterwards felt that it was actually committing adultery against God himself? Were we most broken, not over just our sin and its horizontal consequences, but felt deeply wounded, realizing the ultimate heart that we have deeply wounded? That's why texts like Psalm 51 don't really make sense to us. They don't sit well with us. David says, against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Like, come on, David. You can't say that. That's super insensitive. After all, this was after he murdered Uriah and basically assaulted Bathsheba. Like, this was real physical sin. So how does it make sense? Well, it's because David knew who was ultimately wronged first, last, and most by his sin. The one who gave life and breath to Uriah. The one who knit Bathsheba together in her mother's womb. The one who knew that David's heart had turned from him and chose adulterous sin instead. That's who it wounded. It seems most often when we sin, we simply feel bad about it because it makes us feel bad, right? I mean, apart from the Holy Spirit, actually, and his conviction, that's all we would ever feel is just sorry for ourselves. But feeling bad and earthly consequences for this kind of adultery doesn't just end with a bad day or a divorce, but death. And not just physically, but spiritually and eternally. So then back to the consequences. Proverbs 7, 26 through 27. Many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. What does this mean practically? To understand the weight of divine adultery and the consequences, we have to understand the severity of the crime. You see, in John 3, 16, it starts off with the words, for God so loved the world. First John 4 defines God as love itself. And so for something or someone to betray this beautiful, intimate, infinite God of love is guilty of the worst kind of adultery. To betray our our spouse is certainly one horrible, awful thing that in the Old Testament even required death, but to betray the Almighty God who is the very definition of love, this deserves eternal death. You don't come back from that. There's nothing to say, there's no payment to make, no money to give, no flowers to send to make it better. The Lord himself, in Exodus 20, specifically defines himself as jealous. And this word jealous can be directly connected, not to just some platonic relationship, but closer to a romantic relationship, theologically, because he he is the very definition of love. And if that is the case, then the righteous wrath 
that cosmic adulterers like us deserve is nothing less than the full brunt of hot relational anger as one who has been betrayed at the deepest level. The opposite of God's love truly is hate. Because for God to love oneness, unity, and faithfulness, love itself, then God must hate adultery. And he does. This, of course, is why the father figure is speaking to us and why Proverbs was written, to flee from folly and to run to wisdom instead. So then to our next point, quickly, um, the wisdom of fidelity. And I promise this next part is shorter because as we move through these passages, it becomes a long, quick ramp. Uh, But first, horizontally speaking about the wisdom of fidelity, we are warned away from horizontal adultery towards the wisdom of horizontal fidelity. The father figure in chapters five writes, drink from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. The idea here is a thirst being satisfied, and I need not say more, but the father here is promoting the wisdom of what a wonderful, real, physical blessing our spouses really are to us. God, not only giving us these desires, is giving us the very means of fulfillment for those desires through marriage. The Father is stating that it is wise to take full advantage of the blessing that we have in marriage, not to just avoid sexual temptation, but because of the very nature of the gift that we have, that God has said all of it is good. The Father also commands the Son in wisdom to rejoice in his wife or spouse. No passive language here. It is active and willful. Rejoice. He is giving wisdom to full, giving, he is telling us to give wisdom full tilt into the enjoyment of the physicality of our spouse. Even using the phrase, be intoxicated always. The word of God here is telling us that it is good and wise to enjoy one another in the bonds of marital intimacy. Extravagantly even. Vertically speaking now, What does this look like? Well, Proverbs 6.22 says that when we bind God's words on our hearts, they will lead us. When we lie down, they will watch over us. And when we awaken, they will talk with us. In 7.4 it reads, he tells us to call wisdom our sister and insight our intimate friend, that we should not be lured and enticed by the adulteress of the world. All of this is for the sake of intimacy. Genuine, real intimacy not just with wisdom, but with God himself. Vertical wisdom in these Proverbs is calling us to hide his word more and more deeply into our hearts so that we might remember all of what God has said and all of who God is. As Kyle said last week, we must read his word in order to do this. Are we reading his word, Christ Church? If you are not, I would encourage you to start. Daily even. Are you memorizing it? If not, I would encourage you to start. We forget so often, and I love how Jordan mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, because the fact is, is we have to remember that we always forget. It is a daily fight and struggle that we deal with. So let us remember God's commands. All of this, however, is not simply a to-do list, to run from physical adultery, and not just a checklist to hide from sin, but wisdom for the sake of genuine closeness with God relationship, oneness, that is even closer than the most passionate and vulnerable intimacy that earthly marriage has to offer. This is the point of it all. From Proverbs to Pentecost, 
from God's commands all the way to his cross, being with him, loving him, knowing him, being loved by him and being known by him, all for his glory is why it's all there and why we are all here. But how do we get there? Finally, with our last point, we see that all of us, though we might desire him with all of our heart, in reality, are adulterers. Most all of us physically, at some level, but everyone spiritually. As Jeremiah 1 says, we have played the harlot, eager for idolatry, never staying home, loud and wayward, unfaithful to our God, are we. We have worshiped and joined ourselves to all the idols of our hearts. We not only fall prey to the adulteress, but we are the adulteress. We long to be longed for. We desire what is forbidden. And yet Christ, our faithful groom, was and has been faithful to us, even when we run time and again back to our old street corner, so to speak, back to our spiritual ex-lovers, back to that which we, we know will not satisfy, but still choose anyway. But he takes us back, and he takes us in. Because he longed for us while we longed to be wanted by others. He desired us when we desired others. He was our faithful groom when we were his adulterous bride. How can this be? I love one theologian puts it simply this way. He says, it was the first Adam who said, don't blame me, blame my wife. But it was the second Adam who said, don't blame my wife. Blame me. If you are here today and you feel and know the weight of your own sin and the adultery against others and against God that you have committed and you do not have Christ, today is the day that your sins be forgiven. Be united to God, the God who loves you, the God who died for you, even as you commit adultery against him now. The fact that you feel your sins at all is a sign that you are awake Run to him. His name is Jesus, and he loves you. In the Bible, he's called faithful and true, and he will keep you. Turn from those sins now. Repent and believe on Christ for the forgiveness that you so desperately need. Do not wait any longer. You are a sinner, but that time has come. Come now and be made new. For you, Christ Church, you no longer bear the guilt of adultery that has stained you all of your life. Your husband, Jesus Christ, has made you alive in him. He has made you pure, blameless, and a faithful bride because he was crucified and killed as a stained, condemned adulterer on your behalf. As we close and prepare to gather at the table in anticipation of the final marriage supper of the Lamb, permanently sealing our fidelity with Christ, we remember that Paul makes the bold assertion in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24 where he says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. If we were reading the Proverbs simply looking for some helpful tidbits and wise sayings, just another list of rules and not ultimately seeing Jesus Christ himself, our savior, we are reading the whole book wrong. So since Jesus is the wisdom of God, even in the Proverbs, let us seek Jesus when temptation comes 
and seek Jesus, even when we give in to those temptations, both horizontally and vertically, because Jesus has traded our adultery for his own fidelity, that we might be united to God once and for all. Let us pray that God would cause us to believe this all the more. Father, we are so thankful that you are who you say you are. Lord, we are desperate for your work to be done in our lives, the work that only you can do. Jesus, we are so thankful that you have traded your perfect, faithful fidelity for our imperfect, broken infidelity and adultery. God, I pray that you would help us to see our sin as ultimately wronging you, including others, not so that we might feel better, but that we might ultimately know you more. Only you can do this, Jesus. Please, would you send your spirit more and more fully into our lives as we grow dependence and need for you. We love you, and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.